the, the cheaters are here, but we're going to try not to use them. The skills of doctors is amazing. Thankful for that. Open your Bibles, if you would, please, to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. It's right after Psalm 26 and just before Psalm 28. We once again take up our study of the Psalms. Already looked at Psalm 1, Psalm 19, Psalm 23. And today, by the grace of God, we begin this 27th Psalm study, another Psalm of David. Um, To begin with, I think it will benefit us to know when David wrote the Psalm in his life. The context of the things that are going on. Oftentimes we'll read about it and how it affects the words he uses. Um, Our English Bibles gives us no title other than the Psalm of David. And there are other Psalms which are more specific as to the details of it, but this one, no. As we read here, uh, it does give you some clues that David was going through some tumultuous times, some hardships. A lot of commentators feel that this was occurring during his uh, flight from uh, Saul and, and the things that were going on in his mind. And others say, no, it was later on in his life when he had the rebellion of his son Absalom. Absalom seeking to take the kingdom at that time and seeking David's life. But in any case, just follow along as I read, and I want you to note uh, in these 14 verses references, at least in your own mind, to trouble, to uh, issues that you'd say, oh, that's why he's writing it. Uh, For example, the number of times the word enemies is mentioned in here. And so it gives you a little bit of an idea what's behind it all. Psalm 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came up to eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock, And now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies, round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing. Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord 
will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over to the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had been unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we wait on you this day. Um, We wait on you for clarity of heart and mind in the situations of life. Even as we have read this particular psalm, there are verses that speak to us of the enemies or the trials or the tribulations and the struggles of life. And in an indifferent sense, we too have experienced that. And yet, Father, we notice also of David's love and confidence in you. May, Father, your spirit work amongst us and bring clarity to our hearts and minds that we might focus upon you and find our peace and contentment in you. In Jesus' name, amen. It seems that, again, most of these commentators, as you've seen, there's a a plethora of references here to uh, the troubles that David was going through. And yet, through all of them, he expresses in very poignant terms his confidence and his dependence upon God. Sometimes when, if, if it was us, if we're being chased by an enemy or, you know, the children are seeking to kill us and, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, we would be, you know, in, in turmoil. David expresses these things, and yet it's a lesson I think we need to learn today. There is no end of struggles. There is no end of discussing the woes of life. Uh, Sometimes I feel that the news media has purposed in their hearts to shell us constantly with the woes of life. And it just kind of knocks you down. Yet our life is far more than that. As we dig into the psalm, we'll see that it reads of the permanence and dependability of the believer's relationship with God. He talks about his own experience, but in essence, because as children of God, we have the same experience. And so we therefore may also find a dependability in our relationship with him, a permanence with that. I know we've all experienced the failure of human relationships, even the closest of those who we call friends or family. But what David expresses here for himself is true of all of the children of God, that he doesn't leave us or forsake us. And we throw that out many times. Do you believe that? Do you believe God doesn't fail you, that God doesn't forsake any of his children? How many of us can honestly testify here this morning of practicing Psalm 5611? In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid of what man can do unto me. We read it and we say, yes, I trust in God. I have that confidence. And yet I'm afraid that intermingled with those types of experiences, we find ourselves troubled with gnawing fears and doubts. I have a confidence in God, and yet on one side there's this little nipping away, you know, the, the fox uh, snipping away at our confidence. 
There's an account in Mark 9 of a man who had a demon-possessed son, and you're probably familiar with it. He knew Jesus was in the area, and he comes to Jesus seeking help. The text says, Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway, in other words, Jesus says it, and it says, and immediately, Jesus responds, or the father says of of his child, and he cries out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. He says, I trust you. I have this confidence in you, but the gnawing doubts and fears is the evidence of my son who's in this condition. Help my unbelief. And so we, we trust in God in these things. And, and we read here of what takes place in David's life. And we wonder how it came to be that he could trust God as such. And so it is often with us. We believe and we trust. But that trust is mixed with anxiety and fear. And we end up missing the peace that God can give us. We end up having that pass by. My prayer is that this psalm will grant us a better understanding of David's confidence in very troubling times. We don't know the details of when it was, but again, all of the words that you saw, you heard me read and you saw with your eyes, there are some troubles. And how could he still have a confidence in God? We're going to take the first three verses this morning as the base of David's confidence and really important for us to understand uh, the basis of the rest of the passage and how it goes on, and we find it out. Verse 1, the Lord is my light. Do you realize this is the only passage in the Old Testament that speaks of God as light? Unusual. Because in the New Testament, there's plenty of opportunity for that to be expressed. Never is the Old Testament Jehovah God given the title of light. There are some references that you could indicate it, but as not. New Testament, well, here's the words of John the Baptist, speaking of Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This same came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. John says, hey, I'll bear witness to the one. I'm not the light, but I'll bear witness to the one who was the light, who brought light into a very dark world. In that same book, a little bit later, Jesus at the Feast of the Tabernacles, and no doubt he was standing before this great candle opera that was there in Jerusalem, says, I am the light of the world. Tabernacles was an indicator of light, and the candle opera was that Beautiful illustration of that for all of Israel. And he stands there and he says, I am the light of the world. Passover, one year later after that time, Jesus says, I am come come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Simple illustration. 
but something that David evidently saw of truth of God was in the world in which he was living amongst the troubles and tribulations that he had. And then in 1 John, the disciple writes, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Powerful illustrations, and it's a simple one. Darkness, light. The world, Christ, used all through the scriptures and bears witness to our own hearts. To know that God is light is one thing, though, but to say that God is my light is something completely different. And that's the confidence that David had. David recognized what God gave him brought truth and understanding in a very confusing time. Why is Saul, the one that I honor, seeking to kill me? I've done nothing but good for him, honored his name. He is, you know, I'm not going to touch him. I'm not going to slay him, even though he had opportunity. He respected that because light was brought into David's life and he had such a truth. God is truth and is the standard of truth and light, which David says, this light governs my life. It shines in places of darkness. And we can talk about all of the darkness in our own country, in our own world. But what brings me comfort is peace to say that the light of the word of God, the light of Christ in my life, helps me to understand why this occurred, why this didn't occur, and what's taking place. And I'm able to say this is beautiful to see. To know that God is light, but my light. David was assured of this truth and found strength and comfort to go forward without fear. So what about you and me? How does darkness affect us, spiritual darkness, in the place in which we live and work? God is light to his people to show them the way when they are in doubt, to bring comfort and rejoicing when their hearts seem to stumble and are afraid, when things don't make sense and sorrow prevails. It is his light that we should walk in, and in his light that we have hope for everlasting light. And the truth is this light cannot be extinguished. Whatever false lights are being presented as, this is the truth of the day, or this is what we are to evolve into, this is what we are growing into, purporting it to be light, truth, understanding, it will fail. But the light of what God is will last forever. Second phrase in verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. My salvation. Again, notice how David presents this as personal. My light, my salvation. And most interesting of all is that the word my salvation in the Hebrew just happens to be Yeshua, the name of Jesus. Little did David understand as the one to whom the Messiah would come, he had that faith and trust. Nevertheless, he says, he is my light and my Yeshua. Alice Driver bought an English Bible, began to read it, and became convinced in her own heart that what the Roman Catholic Church was doing at the time was not accordance with the word of God. The Catholic mask was contrary to the teachings of Christ. Naturally, this didn't sit very well, and 
her world in England, in which she lived at the time. When it was brought before a tribunal, she stood there and silenced all her accusers. At the end of her testimony before these elites, she said, Have you no more to say? God be honored. You be not able to resist the Spirit of God in me, a poor woman. I was an honest, poor man's daughter, never brought up in the university as you have seen. But I have driven the plow many times in my day before my father. And I thank God, yet notwithstanding in the defense of God's truth and in the cause of my master Christ, by his grace, I will set my foot against the foot of any of you all in the maintenance and defense of the same. And if I had a thousand lives, they should go for the payment thereof. November 4th, 1558, she was burned at the stake. How can you stand before the elites, the educated of the time, and all you have as a simple maiden be able to say, I see this as the word of truth, of light, and my salvation. And the verse says what? He says, whom shall I fear? The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? There is nothing else he provides us with. God's light had brought truth and salvation to Alice Driver's soul. And she stood before her her accusers with confidence and says, my foot will stand where your foot could not. The Savior was honored as she went to the stake. Thirdly, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Strength of my life. Was David talking about his physical abilities here, you know? He says, I got a great core workout, you know. I've got those protein shakes that I take every morning. Daily cardio workout. <laughs> Hardly. The Lord is the strength of my life. It kind of sounds like some inspirational talk, some Tony Robbins, rah, 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 you know. David, you've got to do this. and he's, the, he's my inspiration. I'm going to go forward. Hardly. Indeed, it is that which is the goal in his life. Jehovah God was David's only source of strength in the past and throughout life. He killed a lion and a bear. Any of you ever faced that? Watching his father's sheep. He had the ability, the courage that God had given him to withstand such an attack. And he told that to Saul as he went into Saul's tent because the children of Israel were in turmoil because of a seven-foot, ten-inch giant. And within his own heart, he says, the Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? Whatever dangers he was facing at that particular time as he writes this 27th Psalm, Saul seeking his life, or Absalom, or some other situation, he had a connection all the way back through his life to the very earliest moments of his teaching and his understanding about Jehovah God. And it brought him through. He did it for me here and here and here and here and here. 
and he is the strength of my life. That's how I won. Well, not how I won, but that's how I became victorious. So at this particular time of this psalm, David says, of whom shall I be afraid? He also writes in Psalm 31.3, For thou art my rock and my fortress. What a picture. Yeah. You're my rock. Millie says that to me sometimes. You know. I says, oh, sweetie. No, no, no. Psalm 18.3, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. All military terms. They understood that. But there he stands, and he says, These things, God, you have always been to me and always shall be. Psalm 28.7, the Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusteth in him, and I am helped. Strength, shield, high tower, buckler, a wall of defense. The Apostle Paul's own words in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which, what? Strengtheneth me. Same principle, okay? Not a physical strength, not a goal, or you're, you're my hero God, but the fact that God has led him to the point, seeing him through. And you can read Paul's epistles and understand the struggles he had gone through. Friends, in these first verse, we have a threefold cord that cannot be broken. Light, salvation, and strength. All sourced in the Lord provided for by the experience not only of David, but through saints all through history. Not afraid. Man can do nothing. That's where David finds his confidence to live in the midst of troubles. But as that infomercial says, but wait, there's more. Look at verse 2. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me, to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Those personal pronouns, my light, my salvation, my strength, David proclaims his confidence in God, personal relationship because it had already taken place. And he mentions here in verse 2 the victories of the past. When the wicked, not the current ones that he's facing, when the wicked even my enemies and my foes came upon me to eat up my flesh. When it occurred in the past, they stumbled and fell. He's not saying currently, this I want them to fall, but he's saying God's faithfulness to me shown in the past, and this is the victory that I have. Notice the words that he uses here to describe these people. Wicked foes, adversaries, enemies, uh, really not David's enemies, but the enemies of God. And then he talks to them about their violence, their hard attitude, to eat up my flesh. I guess we'd call them cannibals, you know, vampire types, bloodsuckers, you know, wolves. Uh, didn't really happen, not literally. But their hearts were full of such hatred for God, and which was epitomized in the life of David that they would just rip them apart if they could. 
They would just tear them to shreds. Eat up my flesh, he says. I hate them so. And today we have those behind the iron curtain and the bamboo curtain with the walls of Islam, Hinduism, or even disguised in our own country under the badum of freedom of choice. No matter how we look at it, David had been in real trouble. And he didn't pass this time off as something, oh, well, it's okay, this is not much. What I'm saying is all that he had faced up to the previous, of previous experiences was bad. They were ready to devour him. But now he comes up to another time, another situation that he's facing as he's writing this, and he's saying the same situation, but even worse is there, even greater in opposition. However, what did David witness to the past? They stumbled and they fell. <laughs> His testimony of the past is that they made no advancement. Their threatenings failed to succeed. Makes me think of, Tim had mentioned earlier, you know, a day coming when every knee will bow. You know, things in heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, every tongue to confess. In other words, no matter who the person was since the time of Adam, every single one of them will be down before the Lord Jesus Christ. And they stumbled and fell then, well, they will continue to do so. One more verse in this powerful opening section is verse 3. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear, though war shall rise up against me, in this will I be confident. So here's a, here's a pitch. He expresses his personal feelings in verse 1. The my, my, my. And then he comes to verse 2 and he says, I have that confidence because of the past that has gone on. Now it comes to verse 3 and he presents a situation which is still ahead. Second Kings 6, there's an account of where a war is being described between Israel and the Philistines. It's not a very pleasant situation. I'm sorry, uh, between Israel and Syria. Not a very pleasant situation. And to make a long story short, sort, the servant of God, Elijah, had the ability to understand God's will and the things that were going on. And before the king of Syria would make an advancement, Elijah told the king of Israel, this is what the Syrians are going to do. And Syria got whooped again and again and again. So pretty soon the king of Syria says, Let's get rid of this Elijah guy. He's causing us trouble. He's given our, our spy secrets, you know, uh, uh, giving them away. He wanted to capture Elijah. The king of Syria sent an army. The text goes and says, therefore sent he, meaning the king of Syria, thither horses and chariots and a great host and they came by night and compassed the city. This is the city of Dothan. And when the servant of the man of God had was risen up and gone forth, behold, and host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us is more than they that be with them. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, 
The mountains were full of horses, chariots of fire, round about Elijah. And when they had come down to him, Elijah prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. Elijah's servant comes out early in the morning with his cup of coffee and he wants to sit on the little the patio there before Elijah wakes up, you know, and, and he looks outside and the city of Dothan is surrounded by the enemy. And there's fire in their eyes. They're upset. They're, they're there to, to wipe out Dothan, but they're there to capture Elijah. And he goes in and he says, Master, uh, the enemy's around about us. You know, there's trouble. You know, and there are times that I think of that. The things that we get up in the morning and the things that we've wrestled with in our minds. And we open the, well, we don't open the papers anymore. We flip on our phones or or turn on the news. And it's everywhere. And we're just bombarded with this garbage. And it's weighing heavy on us. He says, what are we going to do? The prophet says, don't worry. And, And I say that at this time simply because Elijah did not see the armies of the Lord. He just trusted in God at this particular time because of God's promises to him. And he prays. He says, Lord, open the eyes of my servant that he can see. And all of a sudden he sees the armies, the angels all around. And the work commenced to making it a reality. The armies of Syria, in essence, destroyed. All Elijah had was faith and trust and confidence that God would do right at the right time, that he would take care of the enemies at the right time. Isn't that what David has confidence in? And we'll see later on as we go through the Psalms in the weeks ahead. You know, David had no tangible evidence other than the experience of the past and the word of God as it was presented to him of what's going to take place. But what he's provided for, even within this lesson, he expresses such a confidence. David understood that the prophet was going, what the prophet was going through. And so he writes, Though an host should encamp against me, think of the armies of Syria around Dothan, my heart shall not fear. Why? This is an obvious problem, isn't it? He says, my heart's not going to be afraid because of all that opposes me and my Lord. My heart will not fear. The war should rise up against me. The potential of of conflict in the Christian's life is evident. Though those things happen, in this will I be confident. Now, he's not going to go and express something later on. This is my confidence. His confidence came out of verse 1 and verse 2. My confidence is that God is my light and my salvation and the strength of my life. In that, I have confidence. I'm not going to be afraid. Though the opposition seems huge and surmountable, this is what God has provided for me. Where's your confidence placed today? In whom? The enemy is fierce and his weaponry is diverse and powerful. They all have the children of Israel thrown into discouragement, concern for their hatred for God, and so it is today. 
The enemy that we face is epitomized under the banners, the war banners that they have, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. They wave them as the, the principles upon which we have our enjoyment in this particular time of life. They have a disdain for God's authority. To such an enemy, you're really nothing more than cannon fodder, just to be knocked aside and be trampled over. I want to take out one more familiar scene out of the Old Testament to make a little application in David's life. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass, and he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing his shield went before him. And he stood and he cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, Why are ye come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine? You, the servants of Saul, choose you a man for you and let him come to me. The scene is a simple one, and we've seen it all in little lessons or in your colored Bible pictures or whatever. And, and, and there's the armies of Israel on one side, and there's the armies of the Philistines on the other. And rather than just go slaughter, let's just send out a champion. Send one and won, and we'll just decide the battle. And the children of Israel stood there with weapons, spears and swords and, 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 and male uh, armor and, and, and bows and arrows and chariots and the whole realm, but it did not make them any more courageous to take on the enemy than anything else. They stood there in fear. They stood there in failure, defeated. Again, where's your confidence placed today? What are you relying upon? Your skills? Your trade? Your education? Labors of your hands? You have confidence in the employment that you have? Maybe your regular, regular paycheck? Those retirement funds, that rare coin collection, that 401k stuffed away. Maybe your confidence is in your health because you diet and exercise regularly. Or the doctors that you have, that you've put your trust in. Or those medicines that are available put us back in place. Confidence in our government, from the federal to the state to the local. Or in our military our local police force, or that 9 millimeter Glock that you've got in a box next to your bed. Sure, we can have confidence of various levels in any or all of those things, and there's really not too much wrong with that. But the issue is, is that in those things and many others, they too shall fail because they're not designed for permanence. Those things are not designed to last. Those things will come and they will find us lacking. Passage goes on. 
Then said David to the Philistines, Philistine, Goliath, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come unto thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defiled. This day will the Lord deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day to the fowls of the air and to the wild beast of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That's a whole picture. That was David's premier confidence. He says, you got all of the best of the weaponry and you boast confidence in you and what you're going to do. And yet he says, I'll trump that. I says, because my God doesn't need a sword or a spear or any of those types of things. He's going to take it as he knows best to take it. And he says that everybody's going to know, just not those here in this valley, not everybody of the Philistines or not everybody on the, the, the children of Israel, but everybody's going to get to know that the battle is the Lord's. It's his battle. He will come out because he wants the credit and the glory for that. Brethren, secure yourself daily in the Lord. Be sure that you can see what that growling, gnawing fear or anxiety is and say, Lord, this is for you to take. Your light, your salvation, strength of my life. It's all part of what I need to grow in that I can find the confidence to know how I'm going to act or react knowing what I can say when this person is afraid or this person is angry or this person is threatening, how do I do it? Well, the Lord has to be the one. If My heart has a confidence in him. Why? Because the battle is the Lord's. It may not always come out as you expect it to come. You know, we pray for this and we pray for this, but is that God's will? God's will is perfect. And as it is accomplished, but it's for me to be comfortable into knowing what God's will is. And I can say that happened. I'm confident. I'm comfortable. Lord, you, you, you've prevailed. Secure our confidence in Christ. The more you know of him, the more you see of him and read of him and find how he acted and interacted with those people for those three special years and the promises given to us by the apostles afterwards, he said, this is the one that I'm willing to die for. And they all, with the exception of John, apparently suffered terribly in their deaths. John exiled to the island of Patmos. Brethren, whatever you're facing today, however uh, mountainous, tremendously powerful, the shoutings and the threatenings you may seem to face, find confidence in Christ. Find confidence in who he is and what he's done for you. Rescued you from the life of sin and misery that you had lived in. And he calls you your his own. Grow in him. Let's pray. Father, it is with great joy that we find 
the powerful and beautiful words of the King David in this first verse. And may it also be a song that we can sing, that you indeed are my light and that you are my salvation. And that in all things, you are the strength of my life. No matter what enemy comes against me, no matter what threatenings are thrown at me, what I read and what I hear and what I see and, and whatever is surrounding me, which seems to be evident, there's nothing that they can do to me that I would be afraid. Because the battle is yours, Lord. And we will praise you for it in Christ's name. Amen.